Amen. Well, Psalm 100 is a pretty powerful psalm. And we're starting with it because even the subtitle in the Bible, if you're looking at it in your Bible, there's a subtitle usually with it. And it often says, it's a psalm of gratitude and, and praise. And, and, and I love the idea because I think a lot of us, when we think of psalms, we do think of worship and we think of praise because we know them as songs. And so what I want to do today, let me give you a little bit of an orientation of what we're going to kind of do the, the rest of our time. I want to kind of back up and get a big picture of the psalm. And then I want to dig into this particular psalm. And then we're going to worship at the end. Uh, we obviously didn't worship yet uh, in terms of number of uh, songs. And so we're going to get to kind of end with a huge crescendo, right? And give a shout out to the Lord, so to speak. That's kind of the idea. Um, but most of us, when we think of the psalms, we think probably you have a, a framework. They're a collection of songs, poetry, stories from people. And they're typically about their life and what's going on. They're typically about God and what they think of God, good and bad. And, uh, and when I was thinking about what the Psalms really are, we still do this today, don't we? We still have human expressions about life. We use a, and we use songs. We use movies. Movies is obviously today's cultural language of telling a story and telling people how they feel and expressing themselves. But I was thinking about songs and how powerful music is. And, and the Psalms are obviously not just um, poetry, but many of them are actual worship songs themselves. And I was thinking about how powerful music is still today and how we use it as a medium to, uh, to express ourselves and how we feel. And I was, so I was thinking about what are the most powerful songs of, it's, it's hard to say all time, but of, you know, modern era music, right? What are the most powerful songs? So I Google it up, right? And I'm like, what are the most power or the best songs of all time? And every list I found had one song in the top three. Rolling Stones, you know, all these, the Billboard, all, they all had, there was one song that made everybody's top three. And it is a song that you probably all know unless you are just really, really young and you don't listen to music. But I will just take you down memory lane. We're going to play this song, get a little nostalgic, all right? Go ahead. So, John Lennon post-Beatles, right? This is like him sitting in his living room, literally writing this song. And if you've ever read the story of Imagine, it's pretty cool to think that he's sitting in his apartment, he sits down on a piano, and just writes this song. And it's become one of the most powerful songs, especially when it was written in 1971. Because if you, regardless if you agree with Lennon's lyric, right? Imagine no heaven, imagine no hell below us, imagine no countries. I mean, no matter if you, if you really agree with it, he was expressing something deeply human. He was expressing, think about the culture of that day. 
It was 1971. They're 30 years removed from World War II. They're 20 years removed from the Korean War. They're in the middle of the Vietnam War, and they're in the middle of the Cold War, right? The Soviet Union versus the rest of the planet. And all he's thinking about is, what if we could have no division in humanity? What if, what if, what if politics and what if religion didn't divide us? What if we were one? What if peace reigned? This was humanity's cry, wasn't it? You, you wonder why so many people, why this is in the top three is not because of his piano. It's because of the lyric and because of the expression, right, of a humanity's cry that so many people resonated with. And see, when I think about the Psalms, this is very much what's going on. What's going on is there are people expressing what's going on in their life. They're expressing the fact that there is war all around them. They're expressing the fact that there's family strife. They're expressing, expressing that they've struggled in life with sin. They, they're expressing there's a temple being built in Jerusalem, and they are celebrating this reality that they finally have a house for the Lord. And so there's this complete, completely human sort of expression of what people feel. And this is so different than so much of what we read in the Bible. So much of what we read in the Bible is historical text, or it's prophetic word, or it's an account like the gospel and the storytelling. It's revelation. This is one of those books that kind of sits in a different category where there's certainly revelation, there's certainly historical context, there's certainly all these things, but there's a deeply human expression. And so what I want to do today is I want to back up for just a moment, and I want to kind of talk about what I would call the narrative themes of the Psalms. If you've been with me or been around me anytime, I always talk about the narrative, not because I believe uh, it's the only thing that matters, but I believe we learn so much when we really back up and take a bigger picture perspective of something, and we talk about the narrative of Scripture and what is God doing throughout the whole Bible. But even within the Psalms, there's something kind of happening just within the Psalms. And if we were going to try and pick the threads and the themes, there's actually several that we could point to, but I've tried to get overly simple with this and to say what is really happening and what is really going on. And so I'm going to show you a few slides and we're going to kind of go through a couple different ideas that we see in the Psalms. There's two narratives that I want to point to that I think are really, really prevalent. And the first one is God is king. God is king. You read this throughout the Psalm. And, this, and the second one is that, I've, as, as I've been mentioning, this deeply human expression and it's represented through stories. It's represented through real life and what's going on around people. And if you really try and dig into the Psalms and kind of go, what is really happening? There's a, there's a proclamation and a declaration of God as king, all while expressing how we feel about the world around us. And so if we go to the side over here, God is king, there's kind of some thing, the pieces that go with that. God is king, you see expressed throughout the Psalms that he created all, that he deserves all, and that he rules all. And when you think about that, I mean, if you're reading a psalm, how many times have you read a psalm in which you're like, he's talking about the beauty of creation. God is the one who, he is the one created. This is in a world, right, where there are people that believe in many gods. This is a world in which people believe that there's all sorts of different types of gods, depending on where you were born and what kind of culture you had, you had your own God. Well, this one was declaring there is one God, creator of all things, no matter what nation, tongue, or tribe you are from. There is one God. He created all. And so when we look even at creation itself, we see God. And there's 
a declaration and a proclamation of this, and he deserves all. He deserves all of us. You see this sort of theme running through the Psalms, and even the struggle in that, that we struggle to really give God everything. And so there's this dynamic that you see alive in this in which people are struggling not only with idols, but the idea that other things will actually bring them more satisfaction and joy. And so you see alive in the Psalms this, this, this struggle to really allow God to deserve all. There's even this, this theme when it comes to deserving all. Those who rebel or reject God, God deserves even the justice in that. And so there's this deserve all, and then, of course, he rules all. He rules everything. He's king. He's all-powerful. Victory is actually his. There's not only victory in the present tense when they wrote this, but victory in the end of all things. That he wins. Nothing else stands in comparison because God is king. So, on the other side of this, there's this deeply human feel, though, right? If you've ever read the psalm, you're like, man, this person is really giving it to God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they are mad, they are angry, they are in pain. And so you see all sorts of themes come out of this idea that deeply human, there's these stories of pain and regret and even anger, that these stories sort of come alive in the Psalms in which you can see people express to God these sorts of emotions, which isn't it interesting? So many of us really struggle to express emotions that would feel sort of negative, so to speak, to God and to even question God, but alive, this is, alive in this idea of, of our deeply human story is that brokenness, disappointment, doubts in God, somehow they have a place in our, in our life. Somehow they have a place of, of, of being able to sit in the presence of God and be able to express the disappointment or the doubts that we feel or the pain or the regret or the anger. Now this also plays into the sins that we commit and the ways that we have regret about the things that and the ways we've lived and the decisions we've made. We write about that. We express that. But there's also this other side, right, of worship and gratitude. Psalm 100 that we're looking at today really fits right into that category to say there is this expression of someone, in this case David, writing about how grateful he is to God and that it should cause him to shout for joy to the Lord over all the earth. And then you see, along with this, this, this continued sense that really connects to God as king, this continued sense of trust and hope. So we're, we're really seeing God as king is a proclamation about God of victory and love and power and hope are all from him. And that our deeply human sort of story is an expression of humanity, our experiences and our desires. And so this is sort of what's happening in Psalms. But there's something else happening that I think is really, really important to notice. And it's, and it's this. When you go to this next slide, you see there's, there's a connection between deeply human and God as king. This is the difference between imagine and a psalm and what John Lennon did in a psalm. John Lennon had a deeply human expression without the proclamation that God is king. So the world is full of deeply human expressions about how we feel, and that's what's filled the world for centuries with all sorts of forms of expression that we celebrate and that we enjoy and that we can resonate with some level. But a lot of times we look at something and say, there's something missing, though, that's really true. And on the flip side, have you ever been around people that just proclaim God is king, but they disconnect it from a deeply human experience? 
And so they, they want to proclaim that God is king and they want to just push the truth, but yet they, they maybe ignore the realities and the feelings about our humanity. And so what you find in that is camp is more this experience of a dogmatic sort of religious sort of environment that, that lacks relationship and revelation, right? And so God is king and a deeply human expression coming together is actually a pretty beautiful thing to where all things fit under the banner. All things fit under the banner of God is king. Our pain and our regret and our sin and all those things, they still have this relationship that God is king. The only way they really, really seem to have any truth and trust and hope in them is whenever we can proclaim that God is king. Are you with me? Okay, I'm already tired and we haven't got to Psalm 100. <laughs> all right. I wanted to take a few minutes to do that because I feel like when we read the psalm, when we read any psalm, the idea that we can know that, that, that really we're getting proof that we can come to God no matter how we feel. Good, bad, full of doubts. That we can come to God no matter how we feel. And he not only wants to hear how we feel, but he, he'll lead us in those moments. And it's when we are willing to come to... So many people run from God whenever anything, anything bad comes, right? But whenever we go to him in those moments, somehow it actually builds and fuels this idea of God being king. And this is, the, this is what we see in the Psalms. This is what we see in the life of David. David, we see his stories throughout the Old Testament and the ups and downs and the tragedy he faces. Yet when you read his Psalms, we see that there's something alive in him, even through the pain of life and the struggle of life, that's able to come up out of him a pain of, I mean, a, a part of understanding that God is king, that he deserves our worship and our gratitude. So this psalm that Sonny read for us just a moment, and I want to put it back on the screen, and I want to just touch on it again. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Like I said, David wrote this psalm. In fact, David wrote 73 of the 150 psalms. So he is by far and away the biggest contributor to the psalm. And it would sort of make sense because he was the king during this time, so most of his writings were actually captured and, 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 main, and, and kept and, and held dear. But he was, he was a unique person, and part of the reason his psalms make it into the Scriptures is because who he represents in the history of God. He was not only anointed king of Israel during a time and place, but he was also called a man after God's own heart. And the covenant between God and his people continued through David. Remember, he promised David that he would send a Messiah through his lineage, and what happens? Jesus comes centuries later, from the house of David. And so David plays a significant role in the story of God and therefore his words and how he feels and his story play such a prominent role in the scriptures. But David came, overcame so many different things, not just the shame of maybe sins that he committed, which we may touch on in this series, but the struggle of being on the run, being in war. And if you put it on a, all of us are on a much smaller scale of drama, there's a lot that we can relate to in David, meaning 
most of us aren't on the run with someone trying to kill us, and so most of us don't have the magnitude of ruling a nation. Nonetheless, we can relate to this struggle to honor the Lord, to have this, this, this sort of torn piece of, our, of who we are to say, I really, really desire to give worship and praise to God. I want to give my whole life to Him, yet I still am imperfect. I'm still in pain. My family's got so much strife and struggle in it. And this is David's life. Now, the interesting thing about the Psalms is that even though they were written um, by an individual like David, they were actually they were actually for the purpose, and they became for the purpose of the whole community. So, even fact, or even even though someone wrote it as their own deeply human expression, it came it became adopted by a whole community. So, for example, when Solomon was king, who was the son of David, the songs and psalms and prayers of David became like the hymn book. And these were the songs that everybody sang and everybody know. They all knew these songs. These were like these were like the greatest hits of the day, you know? This was John Lennon, Michael Jackson, Nickelback, all combined. <laughs> Whenever you can get a Nickelback joke in, it always works. Um, so what became special about this particular psalm, Psalm 100, is that people saw this in direct contrast to the people that they were, their story, the way they felt about life. You see, the people in this time, they actually were pretty in tune with the story of their people. Their, their people meaning the Israelites themselves. They, they knew that if they looked backwards, there was a few characteristics about their people that were very consistent ones. And one of them was that they were people who loved to complain. They were people who were, had an ingratitude about them. They were grumblers, which we all love that word, grumblers. And so just real quick, I'll show you a couple of scriptures uh, in Exodus and then in, in Numbers. But in Exodus 16, 7, just a reminder, but most of you know this, you know this about the Israelites early on. He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. And then in Numbers 14, 27, it says, I have heard the grumbling against, uh, against me from the people of Israel. I only show those two verses. They really are just a, a taste, right, though. If you read through the book of Numbers, there's actually 11 different examples in which God points out the fact that they're grumbling against them. If you read through the book of Exodus, it's like this theme that just keeps coming up. There's always like, why are they grumbling again? They never trust him. He just split the Red Sea, people. You don't think he will give you something to eat. You know, there's this, there's this consistent theme, though, that keeps coming up in the story of God's people that they are not thankful, that they grumble and complain. So the people... After David wrote this psalm, I remember I said this is for the whole community, they adopted this song. And they would actually sing it in the morning. Imagine getting up in the morning and singing this psalm. The song in their head every morning, they would sing it out. They went on their way to church, to the temple. They would sing this song. Remember it says, enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. That's like you coming to, song, coming to church saying, enter through the glass doors into the air-conditioned building with praise. <laughs> this is what they were saying. We, we want to enter into it with the, so they were preparing their heart even on a time when they were going to the temple to say, shout to the Lord joy over all the earth. And they were reminding themselves that, that he made us. We are his people. And so they sang this in the morning to remind themselves, what, what are they fighting against? Why are they saying this over and over? Because they knew that they were people who could easily forget. 
There were people that could easily forget all that God had done. And they could grumble about the silliest, most petty things. And they could become ungrateful. And their mind could be obsessed with the matters of that day that get in front of them and they start to say, why me? (laughs) Why is this happening again? I don't know if you can relate to that. So this psalm would actually help them to remember that they should be a people that are grateful. Uh, Famous scripture in Philippians 2, Paul later says this. This theme just continues through the New Testament. It doesn't go away. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining in Philippians 2, 14. He goes on to say, so you become blameless children who shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Beautiful scripture. So what would it be like for us to take this seriously? To actually not grumble, but to praise and to give thanks. What if it was just like one day you did it? I'm not going to complain for one tiny, teeny-weeny little day. (laughs) Tomorrow, for example. What if you didn't grumble tomorrow? What if tomorrow it was like a grumble-free day? No complaining. So the alarm goes off in the morning no matter what time you get up. No grumbling. (laughs) Monday, no grumbling. It's It's Monday. When you get up and you look in the mirror, no matter how bad it looks, no grumbling. (laughs) Right? When you go throughout your day and you go to work and you get in your car, no matter what the car drives like, no matter if you have to walk wherever you go, no matter if you get on a bus, no matter whatever you do, no grumbling, no complaining. You go to work, a lot of you probably aren't working tomorrow, but you go to work, no matter how much you dislike your work, if you dislike it, no grumbling, no complaining. No matter if you encounter that person that just gets under your skin, you know what I'm saying? You know that person. That person that's just always a little bit annoying. No grumbling. No matter what happens when you step on the scale tomorrow, no matter what (laughs) happens whenever you step out of your air-conditioned house into the 100-degree heat, and then you have to endure a few seconds of heat before you turn on your car and have two and a half minutes of really hot in your car, no grumbling then either. No matter if you're on your cell phone and you lose a call and you, for a few brief seconds, have to burden or bear the burden of not being connected to the entire planet and their information and communication through your cell phone, no grumbling then either. What if truly you took a day? I mean, what does this mean to do everything without complaining or grumbling? Well, if you really look at Psalm 100, it's the exact opposite of what this is about. If I was going to say, what is complaining even about? Well, the exact opposite of Psalm 100. This is what it means. And just so you know, no grumbling doesn't mean to just be quiet. A lot of us have really grumbling sort of thoughts, don't we? And we have the discipline to not say them out loud. No, this is actually like a heart matter. Like, if, just because you're disciplined enough to not open your mouth does not mean that you've figured this out. The only way to do everything without grumbling is to inside of you, inside of your heart, to actually feel grateful for your life and for what God has done. Gratitude is about being humble enough to acknowledge that, God, I I owe a debt to you that I cannot repay. To look around the people in your life and say, I owe a debt to them that I cannot repay. And to be humble enough to walk through life with an understanding of that, 
and a true, authentic gratitude in your heart to say, I owe God and the people that he's put in my life, I owe them everything. I'm so grateful. You know, one of the amazing stories about gratitude is, uh, is in the New Testament, and it's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. I'm just going to read it really quick, but there's this moment, and we're not going to spend much time on it, but ten lepers, they come to Jesus, and they're, they, they, they are, now, you guys all know that at any point in history, but especially this point in history, anybody that has leprosy, they have been quarantined. They are not allowed to interact with anybody else in culture. And so they cry out from a distance, because they're not anywhere close, to Jesus as they see him walking by. And it says this in verse 12 of Luke 17. As they were going into a village, meaning the, the disciples, ten men who had leprosy met them. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. Which there's a whole story behind that about how you have to go show yourself to your priest to be cleansed, all this sort of stuff. And they went and they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Anybody know how loaded that sentence is now? Yeah, so that's a loaded sentence, and we won't get into it. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this who? Foreigner, right? Now, I have to believe if you stopped any of the other nine guys, and you ran up to him and said, hey, hey, so you're cleansed, right? You're like, you, you do not have leprosy anymore. And they would be like, yeah, that's crazy. And you'd be like, so are you grateful? What do you think they'd say? They'd say, of course I'm grateful. I cannot believe this happened. They were so probably overwhelmed by that that the first place they wanted to go was where? Probably to those loved ones that have, they, have not been, they have not seen in however long they've had leprosy. So they're running home. And there's one of the ten. He's running where? Back to Jesus. Back to Jesus to follow his feet and to give him thanks and praise. Because maybe he deserves it. Because sometimes we get confused about who deserves what. They thought they deserved to be cleansed, and when they got it, they felt like they deserved to see their family, perhaps. One comes back. One comes back. And there are enormous, enormous implications about this. Because isn't it isn't there an enormous difference between feeling gratitude and expressing it? You see, here's the thing. Nobody thinks they're guilty of ingratitude. None of us do. We all think, I feel pretty grateful about the, the, what, the life I've been given. So if I said, hey, are you grateful? Just like those nine, you'd say, of course I'm grateful. What are you talking about? You can see all that God's done. Let's think about it this way. Let's just say that my uh, friend Leslie here, sitting on the front row, texting away. Just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> just taking notes. <laughs> Let's just say my friend Leslie here comes to me and says, Tim, Tim, I have an enormous issue with you. I believe you are ungrateful. What would my mind immediately do? It would do the same thing as your, yours would do. And so this is what it would happen. You would think, I'm not ungrateful. And you would start to think about all the people and all the things that God has done in your life that you feel grateful for. And you would say back to Leslie, just like I would say, you don't know me. I am a grateful person. You see, here's the thing, though. People experience gratitude in an interesting way. Let me put it on screen. 
we experience unexpressed gratitude as ingratitude. So if I have people in my life that I love and I'm completely grateful for, and, and, and if you asked me about the, uh, the people in my life and said, Tim, how do you feel about them? And, and I had to actually answer a question, I would probably express a lot of praise and grat gratitude for some people in my life. But if I have never done that voluntarily, right, and I just feel it, but I don't tell people in my life, and I don't express gratitude not just through words, but through other ways of expressing how I feel about someone, what do they experience for me? Ingratitude, right? They think just because, I mean, that's, that's the, what happens. And so when it comes to the relationship with the Father, I think there's something interesting that happens. We, we sort of think that, well, God knows my thoughts and knows my heart. And so, you know, I feel gratitude. But, but there's something alive in the Psalms that says, no, 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 it's, there's, there's an expression of that gratitude and thankfulness and praise and worship plays an integral part of how we, how we tell God how we, how we feel about him. So this psalm is a psalm of gratitude. Perhaps we need to hear it like this today. And I'm actually about done. When we believe God is king, we will express it with gratitude, worship, and shouts of joy. When we actually believe that God is king, and not just sort of intellectually accept it, we will express it with gratitude, worship, and shouts of joy. So let's go back to this little graphic we began with, shall we? So you have this idea, right, that the Psalms are largely about God is king, and they're a deeply human expression about all of our human experiences and the things that we have and have done in life. But let's make, this, let's make this personal. You and me, I would say that we're deeply human. There's, there's the you factor going on in this, right? That you and I, something flows out of this deeply human piece in which we have to ask ourselves what flows out of us. What, what's the thing that flows out of us every day, because this psalm is actually talking about that. This psalm is actually, there's something flowing out of David in which he has to say that he's expressing. And here's what I was thinking about this. How much of my life, and maybe how much of yours you should say is, in a given day, is more about grumbling or complaining or fits of anger or regret or arguing? And here's what I know, there's an ebb and flow. It's not like one person just, just, just does that and another person just does praise. And, but when I, when I put it in the category, well, how much of my life is about praise and gratitude? How much of that is flowing out of me? You know, this psalm says this. This psalm says, this psalm says that shouts of joy, worship, and thanks should be flowing out of us. That gratitude should flow from us. That should be what comes out of us. But I, I don't know about you, but I don't know if that is, if I was going to say, that's really normal for me. That's like, that's what I do. I don't know if that's what I would say. 
I don't know about what you say. That's, that's just what I do. Yeah, I'm just totally a person that give out that shout out to the Lord. I'm always giving him praise. I'm always giving him gratitude. I'm doing that for the people in my life. Or if really more naturally what I do is I, I go, oh, you know, I mean, I'm disappointed about something or someone in my life has disappointed me or made me upset or frustrated in some way and I find myself talking about that with a lot more passion. Anybody find themselves in that situation? The areas of my passion, where, where, do I, where does my voice increase? <laughs> where, does my, where, does my, where do I start sweating a little bit? Where do I get a little worked up about my day? Do I get worked up about praising God or do I get worked up about something that has gone wrong? You know what I'm saying? Imagine for a moment that we would just write a, write a prayer to God. And I wrote something out that I thought would be kind of good for us to think about. A prayer of gratitude, right? A prayer of gratitude and worship for the things that we take for granted in life. The things that, we're, the things that we uh, are thanking him. Imagine praying something like this, okay? God, thank you for waking me up this morning because you didn't have to. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you that I get another day. Thank you that I have the food I need. I'm not starving. I have clothes to wear and water when I turned on the faucet. Thank you that my body still mostly works. Thank you that outside the sun came up yet again and the birds were still singing and the trees were still growing. Thank you, God, for doctors and nurses and medicine. Thank you for teachers who taught me and farmers who grow stuff and people who fix things and write things and clean things and build things. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the Bible that I can learn from. Thank you for the spirit that guides me, for the cross that blesses me with mercy, for the work that I get to do that has meaning. Thank you that when, I, when my last day comes and my eyes close, Jesus, you'll be with me. Thank you for the hope that I have, but I didn't, I didn't deserve. God, I hope, or God, I give you praise for the beauty and the wonder of your creation. I give you honor for the grace that you show all people. I worship you as King and Lord of all because you created all. You deserve all and you rule all. Imagine if you said a prayer like that every morning. That's what Psalm 100 is. It's, it's getting up in the morning and giving praise to God. Imagine if you said that every morning, every breath, every heartbeat, every moment of your day would be centered on what? The fact that God is King. That everything about your life is a gift. Everything about who you are has been given to you by the Creator because what? We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And when we declare that and proclaim that, and we allow how that makes us feel to become an expression of who we are, all sorts of stuff flows out of us. It looks a lot like Psalms. And so we're going to end today with a time of worship because I would love for us to express our gratitude, right? Because, as we've been saying, unexpressed gratitude can feel a little bit like ingratitude. So right now, I just want to invite uh, the Spirit, if you will, to come. And fill your heart with joy, with thanksgiving. Just this week, I, was, I found myself complaining about something. Probably you did too. And I was having some trouble with a project I'm working on, and I found myself 
talking to Christy about it and just venting. You know what I mean? It's not even, just so you know, wasn't anything here at the church. Church is perfect. <laughs> but I was just, I was, I was so worked up, and I mentioned earlier, like I started, I was, I was literally sweating over this issue. It robbed two days of my life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to rob you of the life that he's called you to live. He's come to give us life to the full. But I find myself being robbed of the things that God wants to give me when I give myself to the things that really don't matter. And here's the thing. The little issue I was dealing with, it's very small. Anybody ever made a small thing into a big thing? Taking molehills and making them into mountains? You know what I'm saying? Like, we do this. It was just a small thing that in the grand scheme of my life, when I look around at the goodness of God, I should have been paying attention to all the reasons I have to be grateful. And that's just a small example, but this is what happens. We get one day, one hour of our life robbed at a time by not centering our heart on praise and thanksgiving, learning how to express it, and for that to be our place of passion. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. He's the creator. And we are his. He deserves all. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. And praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So here's what I want to invite you to this morning is we're going to sing for a little while, longer than we normally do at the end, as we know, and uh, this altar's open. And, I, and I've already said, I'm just praying the Holy Spirit is like filling your heart right now and filling you with a joy and a gratitude, not of guilt or shame, but one of saying, God, I have the opportunity to express how I feel today to express my love to you. And maybe for you to begin that, it's like, I got to go to the altar. I got to set my heart right. I got to open myself up to him and say, God, today, I just want to express my love for you. And so this morning, you know, that's, that time, this time will be open. The altar will be open. And we're just going to worship. We're just going to express our love for him. And so would you join me in prayer? Father, we pray that as we take some time today to respond to your word, so often we use worship to open ourselves up to the Word, but Lord, the Word can open ourselves up to worship. The Word can open ourselves up to be a grateful people. And so Lord, I pray this morning that as we take time to sing, the Lord, we'd make it all about you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.